Amen. What an amazing time of worship. Amen. There's something about hearing just the voices of God's people sing together as a church that just really uh, just excites me and makes me long for heaven. Uh, longs for the time when we'll be before his throne as the body of Christ, just singing praises to him. I uh, can't imagine what it's going to be like, but I think mornings like this, we get a taste, just a small glimpse of what it may be like, and that's so amazing. Uh, before we get into our message this morning, um, I do want to share quickly uh, a very special birthday. Uh, we have Doug back here, Doug McMahon, and uh, he is turning 80 tomorrow. And so happy birthday to you, Doug, absolutely. And so um, I'm sure he's very excited for us to talk about him this way and to point everyone back to him. But if you get a chance, let him know happy birthday this morning before you leave. Uh, we are, I'm excited for this morning. Um, I, have to, I have to tell you, it's kind of been one of those interesting weeks. Um, as I was preparing for what the Lord would have me to share, um, something came to my attention actually a couple weeks ago, uh, a news story. And uh, I found it uh, interesting. I kind of responded to it for myself and just kind of had some thoughts on it and whatnot. Um, and then just here a couple days ago, someone actually, uh, out of the blue, sent me a link to the story and said, you know, hey, did you, did you hear about this or did you see this? And I thought, yeah, I, I saw it a couple weeks ago. It's just crazy. And when this person and I were dialoguing, it was like the Lord was kind of saying, okay, maybe I need to kind of address not so much just this story, although we will, and what took place in this specific situation, but I think we need to address maybe the broader scope of what led to and leads to the type of thinking that we see in this situation, which I'll unpack in a minute. Uh, but it's amazing. Uh, while I felt really strong that, okay, as I was writing the message, like, Lord, you want me to share this? Uh, it's, a, it's kind of crazy how the flesh or the enemy will try to get you off track. And try to get you to think like, wow, that's silly. You shouldn't really even talk about that. No one's going to care about that. Why would you address that? And so the last couple of days, it's been interesting where I've kind of gone back and forth. Like, okay, well, maybe uh, I should teach this in a different way or at a different time. Uh, but really feel led to address this. And I pray that it would be an encouragement to you. Um, I pray that if not for you directly, that maybe this will help you with someone that you know. Maybe you have a family member or a friend that is going to either has been a victim to this or will be tempted to think this way. And maybe you can encourage them with what we're going to talk about this morning. And the news story, and some of you may have seen this or heard of this, uh, is the story of a uh, Catholic priest uh, in Arizona. And so maybe some of you have seen this. I, I don't remember. It was a few weeks ago that I saw it for the first time. So I don't remember the exact date that the news kind of broke. Uh, but this was actually on uh, all the major news outlets, um, the CNNs, the Fox News, the MSN, all those major news outlets were talking about this story, at least for a moment. And the story of this Catholic priest in Arizona, and the story basically goes like this. This priest has been in ministry for over 20 years. So this man's been doing ministry in the Catholic Church for over 20 years. In that time, he has performed quite literally thousands of baptisms. Now, some of these baptisms are of older individuals. Some of them are infant baptisms and things of that nature. But in the course of this man's ministry over 20 years and literally thousands of baptisms that he performed, this priest used the word we instead of I when he performed those baptisms. And so when he would baptize somebody, he would not say, I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. He would say, we baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And that may not seem like a big deal to us, 
But in the Catholic Church, that is not the appropriate form or method or mode of baptism. And so this man, after 20 years of ministry, found out that the Catholic Church deemed those baptisms, literally thousands of them, as invalid. And effects of that invalid baptism actually carry with those individuals other involvements in other sacraments. So we think, what's the big deal about this? I mean, what's the huge deal? He said, we instead of I. What's the big deal? In the Catholic Church, the view of sacraments is actually quite different than maybe if you grew up more in a Protestant or evangelical church like our church. The Catholic Church, in a quick summary of sacraments, says this. Through the sacraments, this would be baptism, communion, confirmation, and etc., God shares his holiness with us so that we, in turn, can make the world holier. This is a huge deal. This man did ministry for 20 years, performing all these baptisms, thinking he was doing what he believed God called him to do, and to find out that all of them are invalid. Can you imagine for just a moment the weight this man feels on his shoulders? The pain, the stress, the struggle. I mean, could you imagine you're in his shoes and you've done something that you think is the best thing you could do with your life? And you find out it all is invalid as far as these baptisms are concerned. I want you to listen to his own words. In the article that I was reading, he was quoted as saying this. It saddens me to learn that I have performed invalid baptisms throughout my ministry as a priest by regularly using an incorrect formula. I deeply regret my error and how this has affected numerous people in your parish and elsewhere. So how do we respond to that? There's a lot we're going to talk about. But how do we respond to that? What is the biblical response to those that have been affected by this type of teaching? Not just in this case, but in any time someone is taught a skewed version of salvation. You see, we're going to get into it a little bit here. We think, what's the big deal? These invalid baptisms have a direct effect on these individuals' belief of their own salvation. And so how do we respond to this? I want to go to a passage that I think sets the stage in principle for how we can respond to this type of a situation. And again, we're going to unpack specifics to this situation, but I want to also step back and look at a broader understanding of this type of teaching. And again, stay with me through the whole message because I know that you might have a lot of questions right now, a lot of unknowns about this, but we're going to hopefully unpack it as we go. So I just ask that you would bear with us as we walk through this topic. Turn to Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9. Verse 36 is where we're going to start. And if you're using one of the Bibles provided, there are some Bibles in the seats there. If you're using one of the Bibles provided, you can turn to page 678. So Matthew chapter 9, or if you're using one of the Bibles provided, you can just turn to page 678. And so I want to read this verse and then have a word of prayer and then see how we can respond to this type of a situation. Matthew chapter 9 and verse 36. But when he, Jesus, saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Jesus looking out at the people, looking out at the multitudes. And the word multitude is interesting in scripture. It's, it's kind of a mixed group. 
There's all kinds of different people represented when we just use the broad term multitude. Uh, This could be some that are Jewish, some that are uh, Jewish by heritage, but not really believing or professing Jews. This could be the religious elite. This could be very, very educated people or very, very academically speaking, ignorant people. Some of high class, some of low society. It's kind of just a little bit of everything could be involved when we say the word multitude. And so how does Jesus see this multitude? says he was moved with compassion. We have to pause and praise the Lord that he is compassionate for us. That his heart is for us. That he sees us in our situation, in our sinfulness, in our human state. And yes, there will be judgment. And yes, there will be consequences. But the greatest thing he feels for his creation when he sees us in sin is compassion. His heart is for us. Now that doesn't mean that if we die in our sin that that compassion carries us into salvation, into Christ, that compassion brought the Son of God to us, that we might know Christ personally and be saved. And so this compassion provides salvation for the multitude. So again, when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because why was he compassionate? Why was he moved in this way emotionally? They fainted, were scattered abroad as sheep, Having no shepherd. I'm going to ask that we would pray and then dive into more of this message this morning. Father, I pray, Lord, that as we gather together, Lord, as we've worshipped you in song, Lord, lifting our voices, I pray that you've been glorified. I pray that your people singing your praises has blessed you, Lord. And that's why we're here, to bless you, to honor you, to praise you. Lord, there's somebody in this room right now or maybe somebody watching online that, Lord, maybe they're coming today and they just really want to know what's in it for them. They just want to know, is this worth it? I'm giving of my time. I'm giving of my, you know, my Sunday morning. Is it really worth it? Like, what am I going to get out of this? But Lord, I pray that if there's anyone here of that mindset that we would pause right now in this time of prayer. That we would ask you to open our hearts and minds. Not that we think first of ourselves, but we think first and primarily of you. Because we come for you. This is your church. This is your word. It's not my word. Father, if it was me, I would stumble through this message. There would be no effect, no power, and no praise or glory to you. But Father, because it's your word that goes forth, it's not me. Lord, you just say of us that are followers of Christ that you use in ministry, whether behind a pulpit or in everyday life. We are just earthen pots and clay jars. We're ordinary, average, normal. But Father, you in us, your spirit in us as you work through us, that is where the power lies. And so I pray that we would be before your word, that we would desire to know more of you. But ultimately, Lord, we want to know what you have for us in the sense of how we can reflect back your glory and praise. Lord, it's amazing. When we come thinking of ourselves first, we leave empty. But when we come thinking of you first, we realize there's a blessing in that for us and we leave leave filled and satisfied. I pray that we would do that today, that we would put you first. Father, thank you for your compassion and may your word be affirmed in our hearts and minds. And again, that we may glorify you. Thank you for all of this, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. 
So how do we respond to this individual? If you were to have coffee with this priest, you were to sit across from him and see the tears in his eyes and the weight on his shoulders to know that he did this thing and thought it was good and thought it was glorifying to God, and yet it was empty, it was hollow. I think the first thing when I was initially reading this story and just responding to it for myself, the first thing, honestly, I felt was a broken heart for this man. I felt compassion for him. So my heart breaks for this priest. This man seemingly loves his church and I'm sure has sacrificed many things over the course of his 20 years in ministry. I can't imagine what he's given up. Now think about it. He's probably sacrificed, obviously, in the Catholic church. He doesn't have a wife or children along those lines, but he's probably sacrificed personal gains or dreams or things he wanted to do because he believed that this was worth it. I feel compassion for him as a pastor, as I pastor a church, and as I encourage people in the gospel. One of the most concerning verses to me is in Matthew when Jesus says, when they stood before him believing they were saved, he says, depart from me, I never knew you. And it always concerns me as a pastor that there are men and women who sit in church every single week who profess a relationship with Christ but have never actually been saved. And we'll go to works and we'll say, but didn't we do this? And didn't we do that? And I went to church and I gave a tithe and I did this. And Jesus is going to say, I never knew you. Notice Jesus doesn't say, I knew you, then I didn't know you, then I knew you again, then I didn't know you again. It's not a loss of salvation that Jesus is speaking of here. It's a lack of ever having salvation. Jesus says, I never knew you. And so as a pastor, I can only imagine just in a ministry sense what this man might be feeling to feel as though the last so many years of your ministry were not fruitful. Now, I want to be clear. We as a church do not agree with the Catholic Church in doctrine in many, many areas. I do not, and if I was to have a conversation with this priest, we would agree on very, very little. We are not, we don't think the same thing of God's word. We don't believe the same thing about church. But my heart can still go out to him. I can still feel empathy for this man. See, this is where I think we need to really, really be very careful as followers of Christ. You can very much disagree with somebody about politics or religion or beliefs or how they raise their children or what they do for fun. You can disagree with that and you can speak to that in truth. But let's be careful not to show or that we do show compassion. I think we're so quick to just teach what we believe and tell them what's right and wrong. And we lack the compassion that Jesus had. And this compassion, I believe, is why he was invited to parties. He was invited to go hang out with the sinners. Not because he compromised on his beliefs, but because he was compassionate and showed love to them, even though they were wrong and he was right. Even though they weren't living in submission to his will or to the Father's will, living in sin, and yet Jesus showed compassion to them. He never compromised his message. He never changed his message. It was always repent of sin and trust in Christ and the gospel But that compassion is a key element. I wonder in our Christianity today if we've lost that. Because we're quick to want to win an argument. We're quick to want to tell people how right we are. We're quick to get angry about their sin when we forget the compassion and grace we were shown in our sin. And so for me, my heart breaks for this man. My heart also breaks for those who were baptized. And I put the word baptized in quotes here. Because our belief on baptism would, again, differ from that of the Catholic Church. However, as I want to just give you a little view here of their view of this, the Catholic Church views infant baptism as the, really the first sacrament, 
which leads to the ability to partake in other sacraments in the church and is a part of the path of salvation. Thousands of people, parents of children, are left wondering what their standing with God is. As a parent in this church, believing and being taught these things, you bring your child in to be baptized and you think, I'm doing this and this is going to help prepare the way and lead them to salvation. This is going to gain them salvation one day. And then you find out when that child is eight, nine, ten years old, uh, listen, sorry, nope, didn't count. Well, now is the child saved or not saved? As a parent, have I done wrong? Have I sinned? What do I need to do? How do I need to rectify that? Could you imagine the weight the individuals who went through this religious process feel? Maybe deceived? Maybe feeling like, well, what was the point anyway? As someone pointed out to me again in this story coming back to me this week, what about a parent that lost a child after this supposed invalid baptism? Where's that child now? See, that child can't get rebaptized. That child has no means of correcting what was done. So is that, as a parent of this people in this church, are they sitting there thinking like, is my child in heaven? Is my child in hell? Is my child in some form of purgatory? Do I need to pray them through? Do I need to give more money to the church? Like, how do I fix this? You see, the Catholic Church in Arizona set up a website, and a link was in an article To those affected and on it, they are telling people that if their baptism is invalid, they cannot partake in communion. Their marriages may actually be affected and they need to be rebaptized as soon as possible. And there's just frequently asked questions, a list, guys, I'm telling you, it was like, it was a list of all these questions. Well, can I do this now? Can I do that? Can I do that? Do I have to do this? What do I do with this? These people are just wretched. They're just torn up about this. And so how do we respond? I think our heart breaks for them. I think our heart breaks for this man. Our heart breaks for these people. Now, I want to be clear about something as well as we address this issue. Among this group specifically, and many others that worship in churches that teach Jesus plus something else for salvation. So among these in the specific Catholic church, but not only in the Catholic church, but in any church, in any area where they teach it's Jesus plus something else, for salvation. I am not saying that these individuals are not saved necessarily. They may have fully trusted Christ as savior, but caught up in thinking they need to do more. So understand me now, these individuals that were invalidly baptized in the Catholic church and how they deem that they may have grown to be young men and young women and receive Christ. They put their faith and trust in Jesus. They may be fully saved, but they think Follow me now. They think, well, that baptism was invalid and this wasn't right and I didn't do this right. So now they start to question their own salvation. If they truly trusted in Christ, God's mind on their salvation has not changed. But they're caught up in a teaching and in a church and in a belief system that teaches you, you need to do Jesus plus something. So they're the ones, again, my heart breaks because they may be fully saved really repented of their sins and trusted in Christ apart from anything else and just say, Lord, I believe in you. And yet they're being taught they need to do all these other things. And so therefore now they're being discouraged in their salvation. I would say it like this. God saved them through Christ alone. And if they think they need something else that didn't change God's mind on their salvation. 
See, my heart breaks for people that are caught up in a church or in a teaching, not just in the Catholic church, but in any church that teaches it's Jesus plus something. And if I can be really transparent for a moment, we as Baptists, this is a Baptist church. We in Baptist churches, we can fall victim to this as well. Many of you grew up believing it was Jesus alone, but then you were taught, like, you better do this, this, or this to keep it. Or you didn't really mean it. See, some of you were, grew up in a legalistic background where your performance was emphasized so greatly that, yes, they'll tell you, oh, it's, it's Jesus alone. But, man, you went to Sunday feeling like, I got Jesus, but I don't feel like I'm saved. Because I don't dress like you tell me to dress and I don't do this and I'm not perfect and I don't do this and I struggle here. And see, legalism doesn't help you overcome sin. Legalism helps you hide and bury sin. Legalistic churches will tell you, hey, we all know we're screwed up. We all know we're broken. We all know we sin at times. It's not okay. But listen, just don't bring it in here, okay? When you come in here, just put the smile on, put the suit on, put the dressy church family on, make sure everyone knows that you're good. You just play the part. Hey, just keep that stuff kind of, you know, in the background. We don't want to talk about that. So often we can say, oh, it's Jesus alone. But if we're not careful, if you grew up in that kind of system, you have fallen victim of thinking it's Jesus plus something. And so my heart breaks for you. My heart breaks for these individuals. My heart breaks for those in our world that are caught up in religion. And while I'm speaking of a certain situation of this situation over in Arizona, I believe this thinking is widespread in our world. This idea that if you do this or that religious ritual and say these or those words or do this or that good work, that you are set for heaven. The truth of God's word is clear. Apart from faith in Christ alone through the gospel, repenting of your sin and receiving his grace, we are lost and no amount of religious works will cleanse us of our sin. But my heart breaks for those caught up in this thinking. There are approximately 1.8 billion Muslims in the world. Approximately 506 million Buddhists. 1 billion Hindus. Literally billions of people hoping in religion instead of trusting in Christ. Hoping in good works, prayers, karma, and even self-sacrifice to gain heaven. Not to mention the spiritualist in our world today, which has permeated even the church in America. And it drives me absolutely crazy. But my heart breaks. Those in our world that guise Christian verbiage and Bible verses and New Age teaching and thinking and think themselves Christian because they threw a Bible verse on it. But it's really just New Age spiritualism guised in Christianity. There are things permeating the American church that have nothing to do with the Bible. Everything to do with self and greed and spiritualistic Hindu or Buddhist teachings. But it's okay because we threw a Bible verse on it. They're caught up in religion thinking they're good enough and they can just do enough good things. Billions of people are living this way. So how do we respond? I think our heart breaks for them. Not that we're better. Not that we're better than anyone. Because listen, here's the thing. The beauty of grace is no one is better than anyone else. I'm not better than you. Well, maybe some of you, but not many of you. <laughs> just kidding. There's got to be a couple in here, I would think. I, I don't know. I'm not better than you. Look, just because I stand up here, this is just a calling God's put on my life. But can I tell you, daily, if not 
hourly, I wonder, God, how could you ever call someone like me? Oh, preacher, come on. No, listen, you, if you knew me like Jesus knew me, you wouldn't want me up here. That's just the reality of it. Because our human brains go, I'm not good enough. I can't do enough. And I understand, we're going to get to that in a moment, why we feel that way, even as Christians. But nobody's better. I'm not looking down on this man that sacrificed 20 years of ministry. I disagree with him, and my heart breaks for him because I see him living in a religion instead of enjoying a relationship with Jesus Christ. So our heart breaks. So how do we respond? Well, yes, we have compassion for them, but we don't stop there. We don't stop there. The truth is we preach the gospel. That's the answer. Well, no, but can I just talk them into this or talk them out of that? No, 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 no. You preach the gospel because that's where the power lies. What does Paul say in Romans chapter one? For I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God unto salvation. So when we see people who are caught up in religion, I don't care what's on the church sign, where they grew up, whatever. But if they're caught up in religion, whether they grew up in an evangelical church thinking it's performance driven or a Catholic church thinking I got to do all these things to get to salvation, we preach the gospel and we make sure people understand what the gospel really is. But not only do we preach the gospel at home, meaning in our communities, we support missions abroad. We preach the gospel at home and we support missions abroad. How do we do that? By either going or giving financially. Maybe God's not called you to go overseas to do some missions work in another country and preach Christ. That's fine. But you can support what God is doing in those nations by supporting a missionary, by praying for that missionary. Well, you might say, but I don't have the finances to support a missionary. Again, it's amazing what we can do when we self-sacrifice just a small amount for something we believe in. Maybe one less coffee this week. Maybe one less thing that we do normally. We'll just give that to the Lord and we'll say, Lord, I want to give this to missions. And you see, when you give to the church here, that goes to missions. Part of what you give goes overseas. We support 11 different missionaries or missionary families. Now, a couple of those are in the States for health reasons. And as I say this, pray for Chris and Carol Woodley. Chris was in the hospital again with some pretty serious health concerns. We want to be praying for him. As far as I know, Carol sent me a text and said he's home now, but we need to be praying for those guys as they're missionaries to the Philippines. They actually haven't been back in a while because of health concerns. But you know what's crazy is they still have a love for their church where they're getting on Zoom, they're getting on the computer. Not only do they work in a ministry there, they also run a deaf school. And they are still connected to the ministry there. So let's be praying for those guys. But our missionaries all over the world are just preaching the gospel. Why? Because whether you're going to, like the Pethtels, who are in Italy. And someone told me, they were like, well, Italy, that's kind of like a first world Christian country. No, it's a, it's a Catholic country. And I promise you, based on their own testimony, there are hundreds of people that they've met that have all kinds of Catholic church background, but no connection to Jesus Christ. And by the way, their church is exploding. God is blessing. They've had to move buildings because they just don't have enough room for the people they have. And God is doing great things overseas. And we get to be a part of that by praying for them and supporting them. But it doesn't just stop there. It's not a one or the other. It's not I preach the gospel at home or I support missions. No, it's, it's both. And again, it's not meaning you got to go out and do these, you know, crusades in your town. It's at work. It's at school. My son, fifth grade, shared Christ with someone this last week. 
And here's the cool thing about this. And I bragged on this on Wednesday night, and I'm going to brag on it again, but don't tell them because I don't want to embarrass them. So it's between you, me, and all the people watching online. So like all 10 of them are going to know about this as well. He came up to me and he said, Dad, I'm so excited. I got to tell you what happened today. I was like, what's up? And he said, he said, well, you know how everyone in my class knows I'm a Christian, right? Can we just pause there for a moment? That everyone in his class just knows he's a Christian? That was convicting to me as a parent and as a pastor. Like, man, do, where I go places, do people know that openly that I'm a follower of Christ? Or do I kind of like, mm. So that was convicting. He just said it like it was normal because kids do that. They just say things and you're like, wow, you just, just gut punched me and just moved on. Okay. But then he says, you know, uh, this kid came up to him in line and said, hey, how do I go to heaven? Just straight up. How do I go to heaven? Man, we're praying like, God, give me opportunities. You know, the people that surround you every single day or every single week that want to know the answer to that question, they may not ask it so firmly and directly, but Josiah didn't go to him. Josiah didn't work. The kid came to him. Like that's, that's soul winning right there. That's like how you witness. Like, it's just like, watch this. They come to me and ask how to get saved. I ain't got to go to them. So he says, I, I told him about Jesus and how Jesus died on the cross for his sins. And he needs to, you know, repent of his sins and trust Christ and he can be saved. And, and then he said, but he got on, he was parent pickup and I was bust. And so we had to split up and I didn't know what happened to him or how, you know, if he decided or not. And I was just so excited about that. But here's the cool thing about that. He just was living his day. He was just going about his day. And yet God brought this opportunity. So what do we do with those caught up in religion? We preach the gospel. We just share the truth of Christ. We live our lives as a reflection of his grace. And the riches of his grace will be on display and glory given to God alone. So how do we respond to situations like this? Well, first, our heart breaks. There's compassion. But secondly, and and another major response that we have is, I believe our heart should rejoice. Now, I know that sounds strange to say, but when you hear of stories like this, we should feel compassion for those caught up in this. But my, my response, as I was kind of responding to this the first time, was my heart broke, and then instantly I felt a joy in Christ. It sounds weird, but let me explain why. I didn't rejoice in the sorrow of those caught in religion, but in the reality of what Christ offers in this world. We are not bound to a set of regulations handed down by a church council or by a man supposedly speaking on behalf of God. We are bound to the word of God and the truth therein. The truth we find is that we are justified by faith, not by doing this or that sacrament or by a religious act. Paul makes this crystal clear in Romans chapter 5. I'm going to read one verse and then we're going to turn there together. Romans chapter 5 and verse 1 says this, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, let me be clear. We talked about this baptism situation in this specific story. We do believe as a church that baptism, according to the New Testament, is a command given to the local church. It is not an option in the sense that all believers are commanded to be baptized. That's what the New Testament actually teaches. In a lot of churches, it's treated as kind of like a, if you feel like it. But the reality is, Jesus says, go ye therefore, teach all nations, baptizing them. It is a command given to the local church. It is for the believers following their salvation. This is not a part of salvation, but grants a clear conscience to believers, as Peter says. 
We do not believe baptizing infants is biblical or needed. The reality is, if you were baptized as an infant, that does not automatically mean you are saved. Salvation is a choice you make individually when you repent of your sins and trust Christ as Savior. John MacArthur said it well. He said, we live in a world with millions of baptized non-Christians and maybe millions of non-baptized Christians. He says this, neither is ideal. You see, we live in a world where people are so confused about this issue. They think because when they were baptized as an infant that they are good, that they are saved. And the Bible clearly teaches that is not the case. We are saved through faith and grace alone through Christ. And baptism, according to the New Testament, is for believers following salvation. One of the most amazing things about this idea of infant baptism, there are no, zero, no scriptures that advocate children to be baptized. None, not one. There are passages that people will use to try to justify it, but in all of them, there is no evidence, no wording, nowhere do you read a child or a baby or an infant was baptized unto salvation. It's not there. And yet there's an entire belief system built around this that goes back to the fourth century in the church. But the Bible doesn't teach it. And so what do we do? We preach the gospel. We preach that baptism follows salvation. It is not a part of or needed to be saved. It is a part of believers testifying and professing what Christ has already done. Not only do we rejoice because we have peace with God through faith, we also realize and rejoice that holiness comes through Christ, not sacraments. You are holy because Christ has taken away your sin and in place of your sin has given you his righteousness, not because of something you've done. Romans chapter 5. I said we would turn there, so let's go there together. Romans chapter 5. We're going to start in verse 8. If you're using one of the Bibles provided, page 794. Page 794. Romans chapter 5 and verse 8. But God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Amen. And he died for you in your sin. Just as you are. Much more than being now justified by his blood. We sang about that this morning. We shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Meaning he rose again. Amen. We do not serve a dead Savior. We serve a risen Savior. He did die on the cross. He was buried and rose again. And so in his death, we are justified. We are reconciled to God. And in his life, we are kept in that standing with God. Verse 11. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. And we joy in God. We have joy in God. Why? Not because of what I've done, but because of what Christ has done in me. And my faith in merely that and responding to that in faith, receiving that for myself. Man, I have joy because now I've received the atonement of sins. And I am in him, him in me. And we will be together for eternity because of his grace, because of his love. 
So do you read in that passage that you did anything to gain holiness? It seems to say that it is all of Christ. One author said it well when he said this, salvation is all of God because it is all of grace. Yes, we are called to live holy lives as followers of Christ, which means lives surrendered to the will and purposes of God. We do this through his indwelling spirit and submission to his word. In fact, Romans 6, if you jot it down, if you've never really studied through Romans 6, that's the whole emphasis of Romans 6 is this idea of living in submission to him and to his will. It actually lays out a strategy of how to live that type of life by surrendering our bodies to him, not to sin or the flesh. Baptism, the Lord's Supper or communion, merely express and strengthen our faith in Christ. They do not provide our holiness in Christ. So I want to ask you a question this morning as we get ready to close. What are you trusting in this morning? And I know you're thinking, well, pastor, I've been to church, this church for a long time. I've been to church a long time. I grew up in church. Great. I didn't ask you if you go to church. I asked, what are you trusting in? More pointedly, were you, were you baptized as a child or an infant, but never trusted in Christ for yourself? Were you trusting in that religious act to gain you salvation, but you yourself have never actually repented of your sins and trusted in Christ? My encouragement to you is trust Christ today. Receive his forgiveness of sins. Are you trusting in Jesus plus something else? Are you fearful that you haven't done enough to make sure you are good enough? Are you trying to live as a follower of Christ, a holy life, but all on your own? You're not depending upon the spirit, the word, prayer, time in his word. You're just trying to be good enough on your own, even as a follower of Christ. The reality is, apart from Christ, we cannot be good on our own. And the beautiful thing is we weren't called to be good enough on our own. We were merely called to receive the salvation that he offers us, the grace that he extends to us. And so I want to encourage you today, as I said at the very beginning, some of you sitting here today, you know Christ. You've received Christ. You're not caught up in religion. You're not caught up in legalism. You don't believe that it's what you do that matters. It's Jesus alone, and and that's awesome. But maybe you have friends or coworkers or family members that are caught up in this way of thinking. Here's the thing. They're going to have arguments you're going to start to tell them about the simplicity of faith. And they're going to say, what about this counsel? What about this thing? And this guy said this one time. This pope wrote this. Fine. Here's what the gospel says. Well, yeah, but I want to know. Here's what the gospel says. Here's, here's what Jesus says. See, we just preach the gospel. And so maybe to that person in your life that you know, we don't go at them hard-nosed. In, in, in aggression, we go compassionately. Because here's the truth. Somebody in your life was compassionate enough to share the gospel with you. Somebody, somewhere, shared Christ with you. And aren't you thankful they did it in love? In, in an understanding of humility? Because none of us have arrived. We all need grace. And so maybe you'd go into your week this week. Or maybe you would have that conversation with someone and you would just be compassionate enough and loving enough to tell them the truth of the gospel. Not try to convince them of this or that view being right or wrong, just to share the gospel and let the spirit of God work in their heart. And if they look at you and they say, I've received the gospel, I know Jesus is my savior, and I still think this is all necessary. Then you just say, I'll be praying for you. 
and you just love on them. You just pray for them. Because here's the thing I've, I've known and, and come to learn, and you've realized this too, sharing Christ with people. I would almost rather witness to somebody that has no belief in God than witness to somebody that has a staunch belief in religion. Because the atheist at least was willing to admit, I have no belief in your God, and I think it's all foolish. We can start there. We can work with that. But man, it's, it's heartbreaking when you meet somebody who has a belief in God and think it's religion that gets them there, and they're just staunch in that. And all we can do in that situation is preach the gospel in prayer. Because when you can't, the Spirit of God can. And God can work in their hearts in ways you can't even understand. And so I wanted to share that with you this morning, and I pray it's been a blessing to you. I don't know why God led me to share that. I pray that it's been a blessing and encouragement to you. But I want to do this. We're going to pray, and we're going to have a time of invitation. And I want to ask you as we pray, if you'd bow your heads right there where you are. And as you begin to pray there where you are, I should, I should clarify. I said I don't know why God wants me to share that with you. I know why God wants me to share it with you. Because if you're like me, we can fall into these traps of thinking it's what we do. It's, it's how I perform. Even as a follower of Christ, we can fall into that thinking. So I'm going to ask you right there where you are with your heads bowed and just no one looking around. Just the time between you and the Lord. Maybe you're here this morning, either in person or watching online, and you were baptized as an infant. You grew up in a church system that taught you that was part of the process of salvation. I pray that you would realize if you have not received Christ for yourself, that you can do that today. But that baptism does not guarantee you salvation. That it is your choosing of Christ, repenting of your sins, receiving of his grace, that will lead you to everlasting life. Not what you do, but what Christ has already done. And so maybe right there where you are, again, in person here in the auditorium or maybe online, you would just begin to pray, God, Give me wisdom in this. God, I used to think I was good because I did these things, but now I'm not so sure. Open your word to me. Maybe you would begin just reading through the Gospel of John. Starting and just getting through chapter 1 and reading the beautiful reality that Christ came. God himself in the flesh. The glory of God was on display. We, we saw the very glory of God dwell among us. You'd get to chapter 3 and realize that we must be born again. And that being born again is trusting in the sacrificial death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Maybe you're here and you're a Christian and you're trying to live in this religious way of thinking of performance. I pray that you wouldn't let the enemy, the flesh, or the world trick you any longer. But trust in the forgiveness that Christ extends. The freedom, the finished work of the cross grants to us. And maybe you would make a decision today to stop living in religion, but trust in the person of Christ. That's where it really needs to start. Or maybe you have someone in your life that you know is struggling in these religious thinking. They think it's about what they do and who they trust in as far as their salvation. Maybe you would come in just a moment and bend a knee and say, Lord, I pray that you'd give me wisdom to preach the gospel clearly. But also I pray that you would do a work in their hearts and minds, the works I cannot do. Whatever it is, I just pray that you would respond to his leading. Father, glorify your name, Lord, and all that has been said and done. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Again, Lord, it is not me or my understanding. It is your word. I am weak and feeble. 
sinful man that is just desperately in need of salvation. And I hunger for your grace more and more every day. And so, Father, we pray that you would glorify your name as we respond to what you're doing. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand to your feet this morning? Would you come and pray for whatever God is working on your heart with, personally or for someone else? Would you respond to what God is doing?